0: Welcome to rslash, a podcast where I read the best posts from across reddit. Today's subreddit is r/slash malicious compliance where a stupid manager gets exactly what he asked for. Our next reddit post is from Cop Chef. This takes place in the before times when people could eat out and gather in large numbers. I used to work as a chef for an owner who liked to micromanage things and was a bit narcissistic. I've been working there for about three years getting good reviews and customers loved me. I updated the menu and made everything from scratch. People used to think this was an open-the-box, heat-the-food, serve-the-food type of establishment. Quality had gone up, and morale was great in my kitchen. Annual sales went from $850,000 to $1.4 million, about maximum capacity for the space. The increase in sales and income went to the owner's head. He was always spending money on frivolous things and squandering cash, like a sound system and a stage for the event space. For example, I needed a new Alto Sham, a used one would have sufficed, but no, he bought the the top-of-the-line one that could also be used as a smoker. It cost $12,000 as opposed to what I would have gotten for about $1,500. Granted, I enjoyed using that piece of equipment, and after I left, they no longer use the smoker function. Years later, I still occasionally get email invoices from a vendor, and I see they bring in pre-cooked smoked meats now. I was hourly, but then the owner realized that during the busy season, me and my sous chef put in about 70 to 80 hour weeks. When I was working this much, my boss realized that I made more take-home pay from his business than he did. At peak times, he'd maybe work 40 to 50 hours a week. So to save money, he put me and my sous chef on a salary, effectively cutting my pay by about $10,000 a year. My sous chef netted a loss of about $2,000 a year. During all this, the owner said that he's not expecting us to work over 40 hours a week ever. He even has this written into our contracts. During the slower times, this was great. Also during this time, I won a local award for my cooking and the narcissistic owner was not too pleased. He was no longer recognized as the creative force in the kitchen that bears his name. So his meddling and micromanaging increased. It had gone from, it's your kitchen OP, do what you want to it's my name in my kitchen do it this way. Morale and quality began to suffer. Just prior to the holiday season my sous chef wanted to go back to his home country for two and a half months during November, December, and January which is peak crazy time for us. I had some good workers who could help me so the owner approved the time off. The owner thought that I was going to save him some money that holiday season by working my usual 70 to 80 hours a week. Nope cue the malicious compliance. I start writing the holiday schedule. My sous-chef is on vacation. I write in my 40 hours during key prep times and peak business times. The rest of my staff gets serious overtime. Basically, the sous-chef and I carried most of the weight in that kitchen and could way outperform the other staff. So with my sous-chef on vacation and me only putting in 40 hours, the full-time staff is now working 60 hours a week and the part-timers are getting 40 hours a week things are running pretty smoothly until the owner realizes that I'm not there like I always am during the holiday rush. He's in the kitchen more trying to micromanage my staff, giving them poor advice contradicting my directions and timing for events, and screwing up the small parties my staff could handle while I'm off. After a few weeks of this, my boss realized that he's paying more to the staff in overtime than he saved on moving me and my sous chef to salaries. He starts demanding that I work more hours to stop hemorrhaging overtime to the kitchen staff. I show him my contract, where I'm not expected to work over 40 hours a week. Now he says that's just a guideline. I hold him to the 40 hours a week, it's Christmas, and now for once in my life I can spend time with my family. Now with my sous chef returning, I'm burned out from the constant micromanaging and gaslighting by the owner. So I handed the reins to my sous chef and changed careers after 25 years in the industry and never looked back. Man, this owner is an absolute idiot. He increases revenue from $850,000 to $1.4 million. That's a yearly increase in revenue of $550,000. Instead of pissing off his star chef, what he should have done was take hundred k from that profit and hire a manager. Then he wouldn't have to come in 40 to 50 hours a week to manage the business. Then you take the remaining 400 k, use it as a down payment to buy a new restaurant, and build another business. Then eventually you'd have two restaurants making 500k a year and bam, you're making a million bucks a year. But no, instead this idiot decides to micromanage and penny pinch his way into a failed business model. Our next Reddit post is from Ed. When I was doing my articles at a small law firm, I was the go-to person for everything at the office. Setting up computers, buying stationery, paying bills, going to court, seeing clients, etc. After being admitted as an attorney, I continued doing all this because the secretary only did about 20% of what a secretary would usually do and refused to do anything else. My boss does some shady business. He doesn't pay taxes, so he couldn't just fire her for fear of her ratting him out. He also never disciplined her. We're not in the U.S. Since we work for my boss's mother's house, the secretary also spent about half her day just chatting with his mother and they became fast friends. Guess who was always the evil one that everyone ganged up on? Yours truly. I was made out to be incompetent at my job, and I used to cry a lot and almost became an alcoholic from the work stress. One day, the secretary got really upset with me after I asked her to buy stationery since we didn't even have staples. And after a heated argument, she told me that I'm not the office manager and I should stop lording about as if I was. Bear in mind, I was her senior, both as an attorney and a number of years that I worked at the firm. My boss did nothing, and instead, he got upset with me, and so did his mother. I decided then and there that I was done doing both secretary work and my attorney work, because I was working roughly 50 to 60 hours per week, trying to get everything done without receiving overpay. The unemployment rate in my country is about 30%, and in the legal field, the supply of lawyers far exceeds demand. The secretary knew this, and my boss knew this, but no one cared that I was basically working myself into an early grave. Cue malicious compliance. If everyone agrees that I'm not the office manager, then I'll stop managing the flow of the office and only do my attorney work. I stop paying the bills, buying stationery, reminding my boss of important meetings, etc. Within two weeks, the electricity was cut off for 10 days because it wasn't paid, and my boss's elderly mother and the rest of his family had no electricity. We also couldn't work those 10 days. Once the electricity came back, the phone lines were cut because of non-payment. We, again, couldn't work. The mail piled up and there was no stationery. We couldn't even service court documents because our service providers cut us off. This went on for weeks. I simply worked around the issues and sorted my life out. For example, when the Wi-Fi was off, I used my cell phone to hotspot my laptop without telling anyone. In the end, my boss and his mother begged me to do what I used to do but I refused. Since I was focusing more on my billable hours, my fees increased and my pay increased as well. Shortly thereafter, I moved from that office to our secondary office and worked alongside lovely colleagues who all did what they got paid to do. I've been at this new office for the last two years. It's my personal belief that if every single employee in those multi-billion dollar companies only did what they were paid to do, then those companies would go bankrupt in a matter of months. Our next Reddit post is from Auschwitz in there. A client walks into the office and asks for a contract review. He then hands over an HOA contract. Before slogging through the whole HOA contract, I asked him what he was hoping to accomplish. They want me to dig up my sunflowers. Your sunflowers? Yeah, I planted a row of sunflowers outside my house. They pranced by and said that sunflowers aren't allowed per their contract I signed, so I want you to tell me if that's true or not. Sir, before anything else, I need to tell you that this will likely be an hourly fee bill. HOAs are notorious for dragging things out, so these could quickly become expensive sunflowers. I don't care! This is American. I should be able to plant sunflowers, god dang it! Still thinking that he wasn't that serious about sunflowers, I asked for a three-hour retainer. He immediately pulled out a checkbook and paid for four hours. So, I buckled down to review the alleged anti-sunflower clause. Just for reference, the sunflowers he wanted to plant were really tall, about 5 feet and all along the front of the house. It was a very substantial amount of sunflowers. The contract did indeed contain a clause with a very thorough list on which plants were and weren't allowed to be planted. This list had just about every plant that I could think of in alphabetical order. Think apple, banana, cauliflower, dill, etc. Sunflowers included. Corn was not included, which becomes very important later. Quick legal point, if you write no dogs allowed, it's normally assumed that you're talking about all dogs generally. If you write no labs, golden retrievers, or poodles allowed, it's normally assumed that all other dogs are allowed. Sometimes a scummy attorney will write a super long list to pad his hours, that is to say to charge more, instead of just writing no plants without prior approval or something. I called the client back in for the bad news. I explained the above legal point. I let him know that the HOA got a raw deal from whoever drafted the account. I said, no can do on the sunflowers. But if it makes you feel any better, they were probably overbilled by whoever wrote this contract. Pretty shoddy work too. They even forgot to write down corn, but they included nonsense like dragon fruit. So, yes to corn, no to sunflowers. I didn't really check the contract for corn, but it's not prohibited in the plant section, so probably? Excellent, that'll work. I thought he was oddly happy with the bad news. Then, two or three weeks later, he came in with a picture of his house, surrounded by huge sunflowers. What happened? This guy drove out of the country and bought obnoxiously large and ugly corn stalks. He promptly planted them where the sunflowers had been. When he was confronted by the HOA, he told him to suck it because the contract lets him plant corn. Then, after some negotiation, he agreed to take the corn down in exchange for permission to plant sunflowers. Now we're friends, he's still a gray client, and he lives surrounded by a ridiculous mode of sunflowers. I read a bunch of posts on HOAs, and in my experience, the best way to deal with them is to threaten to install a ham radio tower. Because, in the United States at least, HOAs can't regulate ham radio towers. So you can always be like, well, I was planning on planting sunflowers, but if I can't do that, I guess I can just install this 50-foot-tall radio tower in my front yard. It's up to you, HOA. Our next Reddit post is from Sherlock Da Vinci. A few years ago, I worked for a furniture store in the back store. My job consisted of unloading and loading trucks, assembling furniture, and placing it on the main floor of the store. After about six months there, my supervisor announced he resigned, meaning his post was up for grabs. I had all the technical requirements, so I applied, but they gave the job to another one of my colleagues who was more experienced, which was totally reasonable. After about a year, that supervisor just stopped coming into work for no reason he decided that he had enough and he just left. No two weeks notice or anything. So while the director tried to get in contact with him, I took over the role of supervisor, which means that combined with my regular work, I was now the one telling people what to do, when, doing the schedule, and all the paperwork for the shipment. Three weeks later, that supervisor was officially fired. In those three weeks, I kept doing the job as supervisor and I was doing it pretty well, so I thought the promotion would come to me, but my director did nothing. I went to see him, explained what I was doing, and asked if I got the promotion too, and he answered that I wasn't qualified or smart enough to do this job. After some thinking, I decided that if I wasn't smart enough to do this job, then I shouldn't do it. So I went back to doing my regular job, and I also started looking for jobs elsewhere. Four days after I stopped filling in, my director came to see me in the back store, asking me why the F I wasn't doing the supervisor's job. After all, without me to organize it, nothing was getting out of the store to be delivered to clients. I just reminded him of our previous meeting and he told me, Yeah, I remember that. What I meant is, you're not qualified to get the pay bonus for the job. You still have to do the job, you idiot! I have to admit, I still wonder how he thought that would work. Still a bit dumbfounded, I just told him that if I wasn't going to get paid for it, I certainly wasn't going to do the job, and that considering we were already short-staffed with my old supervisor gone, he should be a bit more polite. Apparently that was an unreasonable request, a total lack of respect for him worthy of firing me. Yeah, I still don't get how that would fix anything, but hey, he's the boss. I packed everything and left, knowing that the back store which needed five people to operate was now down to three, with the most experienced worker only having four months of experience. It only only took my boss one day to call me back and telling me, maybe I went overboard and perhaps I should arrange a promotion for you. To that, I replied that I wouldn't be coming back because I already had a few interviews lined up. I hung up while he was still cussing at me. After a few months at my new job, I heard some surprising news. The store had closed down after two other backstore employees resigned. Gotta admit, it felt good to see my old boss finally get what he deserved. Let me guess, when there were just three people back there, your boss tried to get one person to be the supervisor but didn't promote him. And when that guy quit, he tried to do the same thing with the second employee. Our next Reddit post is from Throwaway. My grandmother on my father's side died in 2007, bless her soul. She owned a house and a lot near the sea. The house wasn't paid in full and there was still a remaining balance of 5,200 US dollars. That was already a lot of money for us. Because my father's the only son, his older sisters agreed that he should get the house. There was no will. But he should pay the remaining balance. We lived there and renovated the house and my father did almost 75% of the work. He added two bedrooms, a ceiling, furniture, added another bathroom, tiled the floors, the kitchen sink, and a septic tank. Basically, we just received the bare bones of a house. We paid off the mortgage in 2015, but we didn't receive the title, and there was so many excuses. 2016 came around, and my dad's nephew visited my parents and told my father that he wants to add a second floor so he and his wife could live there also. My father didn't agree, and he called his older sister, his nephew's mom, and asked if that's what she wanted. She said that she just didn't want to get involved. The nephew showed my dad that he had the title to the house. I don't know how he got that. Maybe he uses political background. I'm not sure. My father was furious. He called me and told me what happened. This led to court battles that I'm not going to get into, but in the end, the nephew won. However, there was an agreement that he had to pay my father $7,400. The nephew mailed us a document saying that we should vacate the house after six months. Also, there was a specific line in the document that our lawyer pointed out. We had to repaint the house, and we had to leave the house in its original state. Well, guess what? We hired a construction team to demolish the bedroom, bathroom, remove the ceiling, the kitchen sink, the tiled floor, and also the septic tank, leaving it in its original state. We spent about $2,800 including the labor. The cherry on top, we painted the house black inside and red outside with violet dots. It was a huge eyesore. I was bombarded with lots of calls and messages from my aunts and cousins, which I didn't reply to. We went no contact after that. My parents now live in a beautiful farmhouse tending to their small garden. They enjoy morning walks by the lake and just living in a stress-free environment. They're planning to adopt a puppy next month. Down in the comments, Vanilla Cookie Monster says exactly what I was thinking. The nephew got the title because one of your aunts gave it to him. The nephew was her son. She was making excuses to hold on to the title until her son retired and returned home. There were no magic lawyers. She was just a lying, deceitful B-word. She didn't stay out of it. She set you guys up. She said she wanted to stay out of it to avoid the consequences of her behavior. Good on you for going no contact. Demolition well deserved. Let's not forget, she didn't just wait for her son to retire, she also waited for her brother to pay out the nose for renovations and fix it up for her son. That was our slash malicious compliance and if you like this content be sure to follow my podcast because I put out new reddit podcast episodes every single day.